Well, if you guys can make your way back to your seats, we're going to get started. And um, please open up your Bibles to Judges chapter 1. Judges chapter 1 is going to be our passage of Scripture this morning. And in our series, Seeing Christ in All of Scripture, we have now completed the Pentateuch and the book of Joshua. I'm loving this with you, church. Loving this. And we're just getting started. I can't wait to see Christ in all of Scripture together with you as we kind of proceed our way through the Bible. There's such a conviction in my soul and in John's as well that what the church needs is the Word of God. What we need is the Word of God and the power of the Holy Spirit. And when the church is centered in on the Word of God, the church is going to come alive and there'll be revival and it'll be great outpourings of the Holy Spirit and abundant fruitfulness. And so there's just a conviction that as we just come before the Word of God week after week after week and let it break over our hearts and minds, brothers and sisters, it is going to have great effect and great effect in the moment. But brothers and sisters, which, you know, John and I as your pastors, we also have the long view in mind as well. Great effect through the years as we build and continue to have the Word of God break over our hearts. And there's a real conviction not simply to teach out of just simply popular passages of Scripture today or those that sort of resonate or seem to kind of meet an immediate felt need of the moment, but we believe that all Scripture is God-breathed and breathed out by God and is useful to equip and build up and strengthen God's church and feed the flock. This is the green pastures and the still waters that the Lord desires to feed into our soul. And so the Holy Spirit is going to touch us as we go through the book of Judges and see Christ in the book of Judges in the Old Testament. I am loving studying the Old Testament together with you and seeing Christ there. And so... Thank you so much just for your prayers. Uh, and, and many of you, as I was away for just vacation, a brief vacation last week, thank you so much uh, for your prayers and your love. I got a chance to go to a Phillies game with my wife and my kids, and uh, we had a great time there. Just enjoyed taking them to their first game and seeing them enjoy the, the ballpark up in the nosebleeds, and uh, we, had a, we had a great time. So thank you just for your love and your heart for us. Judges chapter 1. Let's begin reading in verse 1. After the death of Joshua, the people of Israel inquired of the Lord, Who shall go up first for us against the Canaanites to fight against them? The Lord said, Judah shall go up. Behold, I have given the land into his hand. And Judah said to Simeon, his brother, Come up with me into the territory allotted to me that we may fight against the Canaanites. And I likewise will go with you into the territory allotted to you. So Simeon went with him. Then Judah went up and the Lord gave the Canaanites and the Perizzites into their hand and they defeated 10,000 of them at Bezek. They found Adonai Bezek at Bezek and fought against him and defeated the Canaanites and the Perizzites. Adonai Bezek fled, but they pursued him and caught him and cut off his thumbs and his big toes. And Adonai Bezek said, 
70 kings with their thumbs and their big toes cut off used to pick up scraps under my table as I have done, so God has repaid me. And they brought him to Jerusalem and he died there. And the men of Judah fought against Jerusalem and captured it and struck it with the edge of the sword and set the city on fire. And afterward, the men of Judah went down to fight against the Canaanites who lived in the hill country in the Negev and in the lowland. And Judah went against the Canaanites who lived in Hebron. Now the name of Hebron was formerly Kiriath Arba, and they defeated Sheshai and Ahimon and Talmai. From there, they went against the inhabitants of Debir. The name of Debir was formerly Kiriath Sefer. And Caleb said, he who attacks Kiriath Sefer and captures it, I will give him Aksah, my daughter, for a wife. And Othniel, the son of Kenaz, Caleb's younger brother, captured it. And he gave him Aksah, his daughter, for a wife. When she came to him, she urged him to ask her father for a field. And she dismounted from her donkey. And Caleb said to her, what do you want? She said to him, give me a blessing, since you have set me in the land of the Negev. Give me also springs of water. And Caleb gave her the upper springs and the lower springs. And the descendants of the Kenite, Moses' father-in-law, went up with the people of Judah from the city of Palms into the wilderness of Judah, which lies in the Negev near Arad. And they went and settled with the people. And Judah went with Simeon, his brother, and they defeated the Canaanites who inhabited Zephath and devoted it to destruction. So the name of the city was called Horma. Judah also captured Gaza with its territory and Ashkelon with its territory and Ekron with its territory. And the Lord was with Judah and he took possession of the hill country, but he could not drive out the inhabitants of the plain because they had chariots of iron. And Hebron was given to Caleb as Moses had said. And he drove out from it the three sons of Anak. But the people of Benjamin did not drive out the Jebusites who lived in Jerusalem. So the Jebusites have lived with the people of Benjamin in Jerusalem to this day. The house of Joseph also went up against Bethel, and the Lord was with them. And the house of Joseph scouted out Bethel. Now the name of the city was formerly Luz. And the spies saw a man coming out of the city and They said to him, please show us the way into the city and we will deal kindly with you. And he showed them into the way into the city and they struck the city with the edge of the sword, but they let the man and all his family go. And the man went to the land of the Hittites and built a city and called its name Luz. That is the name, that is its name to this day. Manasseh did not drive out the inhabitants of Bethshean and its villages or Tanakh and its villages or the inhabitants of Dor and its villages or the inhabitants of Ablim and its villages, or the inhabitants of Megiddo and its villages. For the Canaanites persisted in dwelling in that land. When Israel grew strong, they put the Canaanites to forced labor, but did not drive them out completely. The title of the message is Faithful God in the Midst of His Unfaithful people. Let's let's pray together. Almighty God, as we look at this passage of scripture in Judges chapter 1, I pray that you would touch us, Holy Spirit, with your power. And Lord, would you please strengthen our faith in Christ and deepen our love for your Son. Lord, 
help us to remember the glory of him entering into Jerusalem on a donkey and the humility that led him through the gates and then back out of the gates as he died this coming week on Good Friday. Lord, move our hearts. Help it not simply to be just another set of a couple weeks where we hear of what you've done for us and somehow remain unmoved. Touch our hearts, Holy Spirit of God, and light us on fire for the truths of the gospel and the good news of what Jesus the Son has done for us. Father, be glorified as we meditate on your word here together. Holy Spirit, anoint the preaching of your word and apply it to our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, brothers and sisters, just by way of context here, um, we just completed uh, Joshua chapter 24. Joshua has just died. And just so you understand a little bit of the timetable of what we're looking at here, you remember that the uh, the, uh, the book of Numbers really dealt with the years where the Israelites were in the wilderness. And when they came out of the wilderness and entered into the promised land, under Joshua, the time was about 1406 BC. So the book of Judges now, the, the life of Joshua during the book of Joshua lasts from about 1406 BC to 1375 BC. That's the date of Joshua's death. And so the book of Judges begins right at around 1375 BC. And then it proceeds all the way forward to about 1075 BC. That was the time of the judges from Othniel, the judge that we see here in Judges chapter 1, all the way to Samson, the judge, who in 1075 came to, to an end. Just to, to put it in perspective, about 1070 B.C. is where the, the book of 1 Samuel begins, which is where we'll be heading next, and where Samuel uh, enters into his ministry. And so this, that's where we find ourselves right now. We've had the leadership of Moses, and we've had the leadership of Joshua, and now there's these leaders called judges who rule over the people of Israel whom God raises up throughout this book, and there are so many wonderful stories and lessons and applications from God's Word that we're going to see. There's so many sightings of our glorious Christ that are going to strike us and surprise us, and I can't wait to get into that together with you. And so we're going to look at three points this morning from Judges chapter 1. The first point is starting well. Starting well. Secondly, Spiritual drift. Spiritual drift. And then the third point we're going to look at is wonderful Jesus. Wonderful Jesus. Let's look first at starting well. Uh, The big idea we're just going to look at here this morning, brothers and sisters, is that starting well does not necessarily mean we will finish well. Um, We must be vigilant and keep our eyes on Jesus Christ together as his people. And we must fight 
the good fight of the faith and go on fighting and continue on and on and on all the way until we get to glory. So starting well does not necessarily mean we will finish well. We must be vigilant and keep our eyes on Christ. So let's look at starting out well. Um, all the way here in verses 1 through 18, it's, it's a really a, a happy story of the tribe of Judah and the tribe of Simeon uh, existing together in unity. And just beginning in Judges chapter 1, verse 1, look at the way this book starts out. It's wonderful. After the death of Joshua, the people of Israel inquired of the Lord. Now we looked at this um, when we were in the book of Joshua, chapter 9, where we lingered on the Gibeonite deception, where the people of Israel did not inquire of the Lord. Do you remember that? They didn't inquire of the Lord where the people of Gibeah were from. And what ended up happening was that they were deceived by them. They made a covenant with them in disobedience, really, to God's commands. And then the, the Gibeonites ended up being able to exist in their midst when they should not have, essentially. And so here we see there's just this progress that takes place, actually, where Joshua's gone and the people of Israel, Joshua's in heaven, and the people of Israel are inquiring of the Lord and asking the Lord, who shall go up for us against the Canaanites to fight against them? So they're not just picking up their swords and going off into battle. They're seeking the Lord. They're inquiring of him. There's an example here of the people of God really starting out well during the time of the judges after Joshua had died. There's also, you look here, there's this uh, verse 2 where it says, the Lord said, Judah shall go up. And we, we start to see this preeminency and this strength coming from the tribe of Judah. And you've got to remember the connection where this goes back all the way back into Genesis uh, 48, 49, and 50, where Jacob is actually prophesying over his sons. And, and Judah is described as a lion. He, he's described as as one who is going to be mighty and strong. And so Judah is starting to take a sense of preeminence in terms of power. And we read that in verse 19, continuing, where the word says, the Lord was with Judah. And of course, we all know, brothers and sisters, that the lion of the tribe of Judah is a name that is ascribed to our precious Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So we, we start to see Judah begin to rise up, but Judah goes and, and fights its battle here against the Canaanites, but solicits help in verse 3 from Simeon, his brother, and gets that help. So you see Judah and Simeon, there's a, a teamwork and a unity between the tribes that begins to exist. Now, as Judges proceeds forward, you're going to see that that's not always the case. There's actually warfare that begins to erupt later on in the book of Judges, tragically, between the tribes of Israel. And it's so sad to see. It's one thing for an Israelite and God's people to be fighting against the Canaanites. It's another thing for God's people to be fighting against God's people. And it's tragic. You see this this decline start to happen throughout the book of Judges. But in Judges 1, we get an image of 
unity. We get an image of an upward orientation of God's people. Seeking the Lord, inquiring the Lord in prayer. And this is meant to remind us, brothers and sisters, that we are to be men and women and children of prayer. We are to have our lives characterized by walking closely with Jesus. And I love how the Apostle Paul says, praying without ceasing. There should be just this running communion with God where we're talking with Jesus and seeking Him and inquiring of Him. Jesus Christ should be your closest friend and companion. If somebody asks you, who's your best friend? Your answer should immediately come to mind. Jesus Christ is my best friend. Let that be the case. He's our risen Lord. He's our master. He's our Adonai. He is the one whom we are to follow, our King of Kings, our Lord of Lords, but He's also called us friends. You are my friends, Jesus said. And so we see that there's this relationship, this upward orientation that God's people are called to have, Israel has here, and just by way of application and discipleship for us, church, let us grow more and more through the years of being a people of prayer. This is vital for us, vital for us as we go forward into the fights that God has for us, for his glory, to advance his gospel and his kingdom in this area in the days to come. Let us also, by way of looking at the teamwork and the unity between Judah and Simeon, apply that into our own hearts. Firstly, by saying this, that let it never be the mindset of any one of us that all that matters is for me and my family to thrive and to prosper without also thinking How can we as a family live our lives to prosper our brothers and sisters in Christ? We are here on this earth, not simply to fight our own individual battles within our own tribe, if you will, our own family, if you will, but to link arms with our brothers and sisters in Christ, the body of Christ, the local church, and to do everything we can for the spiritual welfare of our brothers and sisters. Just by way of practical application for us as a church, there is such in our culture a mindset of a consumeristic mindset where I come to church for what I can get and what my family can get. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. We do need to be fed. um, And we do need to receive from the Lord and be strengthened ourselves. But let us simultaneously, brothers and sisters, have a mindset that I am here to also help strengthen my brothers and sisters in Christ and to do everything I can to help lift their heads back up to see the Savior and to lift up their arms so that they can serve God and use their gifts for the glory of God. Let us live unselfish Christian lives where we're not simply thinking, What am I getting out of church? Is church benefiting me? But you know what? 
I want to go to church so I can be a blessing to my brothers and sisters in Christ. This has a real application in the ministries that we serve in, in our service on Sunday mornings. This has an application for us with our mindset toward and approach toward care group. Listen, I go to care group myself with my wife, certainly because I need it. I need that fellowship. God's word calls me to walk in fellowship with my brothers and sisters in Christ. And as Hebrews chapter 10 says, do not give up meeting together as is the habit of some. We are called to press in toward one another. And more and more as we see the day of judgment approaching, I do that because me and my wife Shannon and my kids, we need it. But brothers and sisters, it's not simply about asking the question. And even the events and the ministries in the life of our church, we don't want to get into the habit of asking the question, you know, am I, am I feeling this? Am I, am I getting something out of this? Do I really feel like going here? The orientation with that line of questioning is simply, am I going to receive and am I going to be blessed? I go to care group for myself to be blessed because I need it. But I'm also going because God has linked me together with you as my brothers and sisters in Christ in this body. And I want to draw in as close as possible to you all so that we can help strengthen one another to fight the battles together. And so we need to have a vision and a passion together to build together. We're not just showing up here Sundays for a show to get a, a fix and then to leave for our week and and then, and then come back again to get a fix for ourselves to go about what we're doing. We are called to be built together as spiritual stones, as First Peter 2 talks about. A house built together, brick by brick, stone by stone, molded and built together by the power of the Holy Spirit. And to carry that instinct inside of our souls of God. It's not just simply what I'm going to get. It's what I can give to my brothers. It's what I can give to my sisters. And so that gets me out of the house on so many times and so many meetings and so many situations where I just don't feel myself like I even want to or even need to. I feel a sense of responsibility, not just for myself and my family as a man. I feel a responsibility for your family, and to do everything I can to help strengthen your children in Christ. And that's why I'm out the door. And that type of conviction is what we all need. I don't do that simply because I'm a pastor. I do that because you see this camaraderie here in Judges chapter 1, and you see the type of fellowship life that the local church is supposed to have. And how even different churches that are United together in the gospel should even partner together in glorious works, even from different denominations where there's unity in the gospel. There should be an ability to say, hey, it's not just about us and what we're doing as a local church. We're excited about the church down the street that's also preaching the gospel faithfully, and we're going to link arms together with them, and let's get it done together. It's not just about what we're building. But brothers and sisters, God has called each one of us here. Let's link arms together like Judah and Simeon. And man, let's get it done. If we build together strongly and deeply, there's going to be a mutual commitment to one another. Let commitment mark 
each one of us, motivated by grace, never, John and I will never lead us into the direction of sort of a, a legalistic spirit in this church of you've got to be at all the meetings and you've, it, that hasn't ever been the case and will never be the case. We motivate by grace here. The atmosphere is grace. But brothers and sisters, each one of us need to have a resolve deep down in our souls to say, oh, I want to spur on my brother and my sister in Christ. And John quoted this from the announcements. As iron sharpens iron, so one man or one woman sharpens another woman, one man sharpens another man, the fellowship of the local church and our mutual commitment to one another is vital, vital, vital. This is starting well, and Judges starts out with this happening. And you see what happens when they go to battle. That unity leads to them defeating 10,000 Canaanites together at Bezek. So there's victory attached to the unity. There's victory attached to the prayer. Oh, there's so much there for us, isn't there? And so let us all take a step forward in our, wherever we're at, our commitment to one another. And let me just be uh, really just, just into our own hearts, all of us. Let us all think where there's ever a tendency, and I feel this sometimes, to just kind of more keep a distance or just to just keep it distant enough to where I really don't need to get in there and get, roll up my sleeves with my brothers and sisters and get, and get messy in the life of real deep fellowship. Let's have a different spirit about us and say, like the tribe of Judah and Simeon, hey, listen, we're in this with you. Your battles are my battles. And to hear back from our brothers and sisters, the same. We're in this together. That's the church. And when the church is firing like that on all pistons, man, brothers and sisters, what glorious things are accomplished for the praise of his name. Amen? Amen. And this is already very abundant and evident. I mean, John and I were actually talking about this recently, about just the unity and the the deep bonds of love and friendship that we have here together. I, I just, I love it so much, don't you? I think it's one of those areas that we need to just continue to keep tending, continue to keep putting logs on the fire, if you will, so that the fire doesn't over time slowly become dim. We want this holy fire to burn like a conflagration and burn brightly so that all the people in Reading might see it and people might come to know Jesus because they'll walk into this house and say, oh, look at how they love one another. I've never seen a local church like this. And it's not, a that won't ever be a testament to any of us. It'll be a group of God's people who are committed to the word of God so deeply that it manifests itself out into that commitment to prayer and that commitment to one another that goes to another level. Oh, brothers and sisters, I'm so grateful for you and so excited for the days to come where God is going to deepen all this even more and more in our, in our church life. And I'm so grateful for all the grace that is currently manifested. Thank you, Lord, and glory to you.
Let's move to the second point, spiritual drift. <laughs> There's lots of victories won in Judges chapter 1. There is the 10,000 defeated at Bezek. They defeat a tyrant and actually are agents of justice, agents of God's justice in relation to a tyrant being brought down. And that man, Adonai Bezek, ends up really receiving from the Lord repayment for all the evil he had done to 70 kings. So you see a manifestation here in Judges 1 of the uh, the promise that God made to Abraham all those many years before when he promised Abraham, through you and your offspring, Abram, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Here the people of God are bringing down the Canaanites, but they're also bringing down tyrants who were really terrorizing not just the other Jewish peoples, but also Gentile peoples. There's nations surrounding that are getting blessed by God using his people here as agents of justice towards the Canaanites and towards that specific Canaanite in particular. And they go on fighting for the promised land and within the promised land, and they capture cities throughout Judges chapter 1. And so there's great courage that is taking place on the part of God's people that's just glorious and wonderful and Praise God for that. We are called as God's people to fight spiritual battles. Our warfare is a spiritual warfare where we pick up the sword as well, but the sword is the word of God and not a physical sword, but we are men and women of the word who engage in the spiritual warfare of Ephesians chapter 6 and go on fighting all the way until we get to glory. The Israelites experience victory here, and it's wonderful. But you start to get just this little hint, and you start to see something manifested here that the second half of the book of Judges picks up on and kind of goes into in detail, and it really affects me when I read it. And it it's just this area here when it talks about verse 19. Look at this. The Lord was with Judah, and he took possession of the hill country, but he could not drive out the inhabitants of the plain because they had chariots of iron. Now, it's important for us to note that Joshua directed the people of Israel that you must utterly drive out the people, the Canaanites in the land, and do not leave a remnant of them behind. God commanded his people to utterly wipe out the Canaanites and to bring them to complete destruction. But here there's just this description. It just starts here and it's so sort of like, oh man, that's understandable. Look at that. Oh, they couldn't drive out the inhabitants of the plain because they had chariots of iron. You know, that makes sense. That makes sense. Chariots of iron would be really tough really tough to overcome. You start to see here just this little bit of a spiritual drift where instead of the courage in Judges chapter 1 where Judah and Simeon come together and they say, hey, listen, let's go and let's rout the foe completely. You start to see just this disposition start to grow where they don't utterly wipe them out. They don't completely fulfill what God has called them to do. They, they take 
a lot of battle and a lot of warfare, and they accomplish a lot together, but they leave something undone that God had called them to do. And you see throughout the rest of the second half of Judges chapter 1, and we read about it in 27 as well, that Manasseh did not drive out the inhabitants. So it wasn't just Judah. It was across the board. If you look at the different tribes, because this whole section all the way to the end of chapter 1 is dealing with this issue. And look at verse 27b. It says, The inhabitants of Megiddo and its villages, the, for the Canaanites persisted in dwelling in that land. And when Israel grew strong, so we're not talking about a lack of strength here. Israel grew strong it says that they did something different than what God called them to do. They put the Canaanites to forced labor, but the text is real specific here, but did not drive them out completely. Forced labor, man, you know what? We need some help around here agriculturally. This And, and the logic, it was for, you know, at first... Chariots of iron, you know what? Let's just leave the chariots of iron. That'll, at some point in the future, we'll deal with that. You know what? Let's, let's not kill the Canaanites like God called us to do. Let's not drive them out completely. Let's put them to forced labor. Let's make them useful in our midst. And brothers and sisters, this very thing, begins to be this leaven that starts to spread through the people of Israel where instead of utterly destroying the Canaanites as God commanded them to do, they begin to commit sins of omission. They leave undone what God had called them to do, which later leads to sins of commission forsaking the Lord and worshiping the false gods of the very Canaanites that they keep around to be useful. There is a vital, vital lesson for us, for each one of us in relation to the second half of Judges chapter 1. This is repeated six times in the description throughout the second half of Judges chapter 1 that they did not utterly drive them out. They did not do what God called them to do. They gave themselves over to sins of omission, which led to greater sins of commission and utterly led them to, we'll see soon, actually forsake the Lord. I was meditating on this and I was thinking about this principle in Song of Solomon 2, verse 15, speaking about marriage Solomon, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says, catch the foxes for us. The little foxes that spoil the vineyards, for our vineyards are in blossom. There is a need for us to be on constant watch against the sins of the flesh, which unrestrained would invade and disrupt our personal enjoyment of the Lord. 
Paul Carter says, these are the little foxes that spoil our spiritual vineyard. These are, quote, the little sins and, quote, the little harmless habits that keep us out of prayer and deplete our passion for worship. The Christian must protect his relationship with God by seeking out and destroying these little foxes or there will be no grapes on the vine at the end of the season. There's really a call here, brothers and sisters, with with a sobriety for each one of us to recognize that, as Charles Spurgeon once said about this, we can build a wall up between us and God, not just simply by big rocks, but by little thousands of little tiny little pebbles that begin to put more and more of a distance between us and our close communion and walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not always the big sins that bring us down. A lot of times what it is, is it's just starting to become a little more indifferent with my times with Jesus in the word and prayer. And, you know, it's just, I don't need to be legalistic about my quiet times. And, you know, if, if I don't have times with Jesus on a daily basis, come on, we don't want to be legalistic about that. And brothers, sisters, certainly we do not want to be legalistic about it. However, dear friends, We must take care and be vigilant in our spiritual walks because if we neglect the spiritual disciplines which God has given to us as a means of his grace to strengthen us and to keep us strong, bit by bit by bit and slowly over time, the passion that each one of us have for the Lord Jesus Christ can slowly start to drift away like the Israelites who started to kind of dabble with the thought of, and you know, it probably was the case. You look at Judah, they had done so much. They had fought so many battles. Remember the entire book of uh, Joshua, they were fighting battles. And here they're fighting battles. There could have been a just a battle weariness that set in. It would have just been understandable, wouldn't it? I mean, they just helped their brothers conquer 10,000 Canaanites at Bezek. Can't we just enjoy the promised land here a little bit? And you know what? Just leave the chariots of iron. I'm not even going to go and get the other tribes. Just Let's just let them go. And you know what? They are stubborn and persistent in the land. I am just getting weary of driving them out. You know what? Just just let let them exist with us. Let them exist with us. And that little bit of compromise brothers and sisters, starts to grow over time like a leaven. And there's a spiritual principle here for every single one of us as brothers and sisters in Christ to take the heart to our own souls. If you give even a little sin, an inch, it will continue to grow and deepen and expand its influence. If unmortified, if we start to get into a pattern of just giving ourselves a pass for our bad temper, giving ourselves a pass for our self-righteousness because we feel like it's warranted. Because did you see what they did? Just starting to give ourselves a pass with getting a little bit lax in prayer. The spirit of prayer and fasting that we once had starts to just fade and 
The mindset to pick up the sword and fight and engage and hit the streets with evangelism begins to just drift. And instead of being men and women and children of God who are fighting the battle, we start to just start to take a little bit more of a passive approach and just let the chariots of iron roam and and let the Canaanites persist. And guess what? We're stronger than them. Let's put them to forced labor. Let's bring them around us. Let's let them carry water in and out of our house so that we can overhear them talking about their false gods. And because we believe we're strong, it would never be the case that these people that we've subjected to forced labor would ever persuade us, the strong ones, from ever compromising in the worship of our God. Come on, that's too spiritual. That's not going to happen. We're good. Let the Canaanites persist. We can handle it. Oh, so many times when I've confessed sin to my wife and I've heard brothers and sisters confess sin, that is even like, as as you share fellowship with brothers and sisters in Christ through the years, and even at times when you see them step off and really have a major collapse, it didn't start there. It started with just kind of this, oh, I can handle this. I can handle this. I'm stronger than these Canaanites that I'm letting exist in my home. We already overcame them. And brothers and sisters, bit by bit by bit, the influence of the world begins to take root in the hearts of the people of Israel and spiritual drift can take place. So much so that one of our memory verses for the book of Judges, so that it'll sink into our souls how important this is, will be Joshua 17, verse 6. This is really one of the major themes of the book of Judges. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Oh, goodness. Oh. How did they get from the beauty and the godliness of Judges 1 to doing what was right in their own eyes in Joshua 17? Well, we're going to see that unfold during our series. Sin, brothers and sisters, by way of practical application and just discipleship in our own lives, sin is going to be hard to drive out. Sin is stubborn. Sin is persistent, isn't it? But we must keep up the work. We must keep up the Romans 8.13 killing of the misdeeds of the flesh. Having a mindset of utterly wiping out the remaining indwelling sin in our lives. Knowing that we won't be fully free of sin until we get safely home to glory with Jesus in heaven. And then we'll be free. Amen? But while we are here, we fight. While we are here, we are vigilant. If you see Christians walking haphazardly, like they're just taking a walk in a park, and everything's just about having fun here in this life, and they're not walking in keeping with the potential for spiritual drift that we see happen to Israel in Judges chapter 1. There should be a joy 
in our salvation, simultaneous with a fighting spirit, a warfare mindset for each and every one of us so that we might drive out the persistent foe. One commentary on the book of Judges just said this, it's destroy or be destroyed. John Owen, the Puritan in the 1600s said, be killing sin or it will be killing you. Now, if by the Spirit we put to death the misdeeds of the flesh, we will live. But what Romans 8.13 and what quotes like John Owen, which are sobering, are meant to remind us of, brothers and sisters, is that the Christian life is not just this like cozy little walk in the park with nothing else around us that's just no battles to fight, no need to engage. No, it is a fight of faith as the Apostle Paul described it to Timothy. When he got to the end, all he could say, probably with exhaustion, was, I fought the good fight. I kept the faith. Let that be our epitaph and what we're aiming for. I was thinking of uh, just this illustration. I was just reading about this this past week. There are just a pattern of people who have been dying at the Grand Canyon. A few weeks back, there were two deaths reported at the Grand Canyon, at least one of which occurred when the victim was trying to take photographs. The particular incident occurred, and it's believed to involve a tourist And according to a spokesman for the Grand Canyon West, the man who was thought to have been in his late 50s, this wasn't a little child, this was a mature adult man, had been taking pictures close to the edge of the canyon. The the Eagle Point observation area. And had ignored signs warning him not to get too close to the edge. Witnesses say that he slipped and fell and subsequently plummeted 1,000 feet to his death. A helicopter search was initiated immediately and the body was recovered the same day. And according to one man, they said he had strayed slightly from his group. Oh. And was taking a selfie near the edge of the canyon. You know, you never, you never think yourself, you never think yourself when you're walking past warning signs that you will be the one who falls a thousand feet to your death. It's not going to be me. But brothers and sisters, Perhaps it's due to battle weariness. Perhaps it's due to just ignoring signs the Holy Spirit has just been putting in your life. Turn away from this, my dear child. Turn away from this, my dear daughter. Turn away from this, my dear son. And just like, no, I can handle it. I can let it persist. I can keep it here. I'm strong enough. I'm mature enough. 
and, and the warning signs of Scripture, you just begin to loosely walk past. And the, the man and the woman who was once engaged in warfare begins to let, them, let down the guard and let down the shield and just starts to say, hey, I just want to rest. I'm so sick of all this battle and this fight. And boom, off the cliff. This is real, friends. This spiritual battle led the people of Israel who were once walking strongly to forsake their God. And we could be tempted to think that will not be me. But the word of God gives us ample warning to say, do not think more highly of yourself than you ought. If you are thinking you are standing firm, be careful, lest you fall. When I read that passage, I'm not to be thinking of my brothers and sisters. I'm, I'm meant to be looking at a mirror and allowing the word to penetrate deep down and say, God, help me. I'm not home yet. The Canaanites are still dwelling in the land of my heart, and they need to be driven out. Listen, all of the, the mindset of fight and warfare and and battle, and it needs to be applied into the direction of rooting out the remaining lusts and desires and passions in our soul that are not glorifying to God, and to do everything we can, brothers and sisters, while we have breath, to fight and go on fighting all the way until we are safely home with Jesus. Now, if getting to heaven depended upon my vigilance, I would not be standing here in front of you right now. (laughs) Happily, the third and final point is wonderful Jesus. And I'm just going to set you up here with this, because this is where we're going deeper into Judges, and we're going to hit it right here in Judges 2, 1 through 5 when we hit that next, in the midst of his people who start to compromise even. The angel of the Lord ever remains in the midst of his people. The angel of the Lord, which we have been looking at in great detail throughout the Old Testament, Believe him to be the pre-incarnate Christ who dwelled with his people in the wilderness, fought for his people in the wilderness and sustained them, fought for his people in the promised land to get them all established into this place. And also here as they begin to compromise, the angel of the Lord does not ever be unfaithful to them even as his people were unfaithful to him. The glorious gospel and the glorious good news, brothers and sisters, that we are in a fight and it is for real. There will be many who say on the day of judgment, Lord, Lord, did we not do this and did we not do that? And Jesus is going to say to them, I tell you the truth, I never knew you. They may have started out 
with just this, all the promise and seem like they were genuine believers at the time, but because they just gave themselves over to spiritual drift and, and didn't care about the Canaanites remaining in their heart. They, they gave up the fight and just said, Hey, I want to eat, drink and be merry here. And I want the good life here and stopped thinking about heaven and really started to just set down roots here in this temporary world with its temporary pleasures. And brothers and sisters will hear the words, I never knew you from our Lord. I pray to God, as I know you do, God, please let that not be one, not one of us. But if you carry a fear and trembling, take heart. That's how we should walk. If you think that'll never be me, that's the person that I believe the Holy Spirit wants to get your attention. Because it could become you, friend. Just because you're here now doesn't mean you'll be here a year from now. And if you continue to neglect God, neglect prayer, neglect the Word, neglect your walk, and just keep dabbling with what you're dabbling with and letting the Canaanites persist in your heart, you may not be here next year. And, and I'm not saying that you're in another church worshiping God elsewhere in a good gospel preaching church. We'll celebrate that if that's the case, that we want you to stay. But it's just, what happened to him? What happened to her? They thought the Canaanites were not a big deal. So brothers and sisters, let us take stock of our hearts. Let us be sober-minded. We should walk as Christians in this fallen world. Well, here's how we should walk. We should walk as if we're kind of near the edge of the Grand Canyon. We should have an awareness and a vigilance and an alertness and not looking at my phone and taking a selfie and thinking, oh, I can take that extra step back and then fall to our death. Brothers and sisters, the glorious one, Jesus Christ, is going to be seen throughout the book of Judges in the midst of His people, being faithful to them. And I thank God that our getting to heaven isn't dependent upon, ultimately, our vigilance, but upon the vigilance of Jesus Christ, who never stumbled, who never faltered, who was tempted in every way as we are and yet was without sin. And you know what? This theme of the Canaanites, it just keeps persisting throughout the Scriptures. Do you know that they didn't actually get the Jebusites out of Jerusalem until the time of David? That's how persistent and stubborn the Jebusites were. But King David, who, who pointed to Jesus Christ, was the one who routed out the Canaanites. And ultimately, King David points to his greatest son, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, Jesus Christ, who routed out all the foes, destroyed and crushed Satan on his head with his death on the cross and resurrection from the dead for us. And he conquered over our sin by shedding his blood for it on the cross. And he rode into Jerusalem on that donkey, humble, because he wanted to say, you're wanting me to come in here on a white horse to conquer militarily and politically. 
but I'm going to conquer a much more stubborn and persistent foe that would have taken you down into hell forever. I am going, I am coming into Jerusalem as a man on a mission to this Friday, die on a cross for your sins and receive the wrath of God for your sins so that you do not need to receive it, but you can be saved from it if you believe. And I'm going to be raised up by my Father on the third day with great victory. So not only do I conquer sin, but I conquer death. Oh, brothers and sisters, the glorious one, our wonderful Jesus. He is our hope. Amen. Let's pray. Almighty God, I thank you so much for the good news of the gospel in the midst of the need to be vigilant and to take care lest we spiritually drift. We must keep our eyes on you and remember that you are the reason that we are more than conquerors. It's not our vigilance, ultimately, that gets us to heaven, but yours, Jesus. And so we thank you for your grace, and we thank you for the assurance that you have fought for us, and you have triumphed over our sin and the grave through your death and resurrection that we'll look at and celebrate even more next Sunday. But God, I pray for every one of us as a church family. Help us to be vigilant in our personal battles with remaining indwelling sin. Help us to take care and to guard ourselves. To guard our hearts, for it is the wellspring of life. And help us also, Almighty God, to be men and women who engage in the fight, who engage in prayer, as the people of Israel did well in the beginning of this chapter. And Lord, help us also to bind fast to you and bind fast to one another and be true brothers and sisters in the Lord, bound together in the bonds of the Holy Spirit, in true unity and in sweet peace. Help us all as we are walking along the rim of the Grand Canyon as brothers and sisters in Christ to look out for one another. And if we see any one of us drifting toward the edge, to be the kinds of brothers and sisters that put our arm around them and and bring them back to safety. And that in that way, we would be true brothers and true sisters for your glory. Thank you so much, Jesus, that you are ever in the midst of your people and that you are faithful even when we have not been faithful. You remain ever faithful and you are our wonderful, glorious Savior. We love you and we just commit ourselves to you and we believe in you, we trust in you. We repent of our drift before you and we ask you to have mercy on us and give us repentance, Holy Spirit, that we might walk as we should walk in this light. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I love you, church, so, so very much. Thank you so much for your love for Jesus and your vigilance, your fellowship, the unity we have. You guys are wonderful and awesome. God bless you. Have a wonderful, wonderful day, okay? Thank you, Jesus.